Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. We are and we have got some serious snooker to to talk about. You texted me earlier today saying... I think it might be the busiest time we've had since we started this podcast. So much going on. Two tournaments going on at once this weekend. We don't have that very often. So plenty to get through this week, I think. And proof that I just think about everything a bit too much. I've been worrying since then that that's recency bias from me. And I'm thinking, (laughs) oh, no, actually, it probably was busier last year or the year before. I've just forgotten. I've done that dreadful thing of thinking what's happening right now is the most important and relevant thing. But... I'm going to swing back round and give myself a bit of a thumbs up. I do think it's probably the busiest time. Three tournaments, Phil, plus all sorts of other matters going on off the table. Big documentary to talk about later, of course. You out there writing about this, that and everything else. So, yeah, it just feels like uh, not quite overwhelmed uh, because we we love snooker so much. But certainly um, we have to be on our guard to make sure we cover everything properly, eh? Yeah, definitely. That was great place to be in we're not complaining it's uh it's superb and yeah the, um, the tournament's been on at the same time but the, the documentary just adds the uh, a whole new level on top of it um just a whole different kind of media coverage that's getting from you know i've seen people's bylines i don't recognize on snooker stories it's very exciting time so uh yeah it's all good we're pleased to please have it all going on we really are and you're right snooker all over the national press of course and that national media this is the week that the ronnie o'sullivan documentary hits cinemas hits our television screens so loads of people i know will see it for the first time this week just to say we both already have seen it and we will be talking about it uh, later on i will give you a good spoiler warning because uh, even though the general premise of what happened we know there are elements that maybe some of you i know i'm a big person for being allergic to spoilers so um, so we'll, we'll give you a good warning of that later. But, Phil, let's first talk Champion the Champions and say congratulations to Mark Allen. Well, I mentioned his season record in our last podcast, Phil, and which I was quite a bit better now. First round, 
Second round, first round, second round, quarterfinal, first round, second round, winner. We all know class is permanent. So he wasn't pulling up any trees in the earlier weeks and months of the season, but uh, right back in the winner's circle now. And he did so with a very good victory, didn't he? Beating Judd Trump 10-3 in the final. Hats off to Judd as well. I mean, his his season of, of brilliance continues. I mean, won three tournaments in a row. You know, you, you'd be forgiven for having a bit of a quiet spell. Not at all. Goes all the way to another major final. But yeah, Alan, um, we just had to say hats off to him. The player of last season. And uh, this is his first tournament win then of this 23-24 campaign. Bit of an emotional one, wasn't it, Phil? Just saying off air because he paid tribute, didn't he, to his coach, mentor, great friend, Joe Short, who died in the summer, saying, I've been a bit lost as I lost someone in the summer who's been by my side since I was 12 years of age. Joe's not here with us anymore. He was a big part of my life, not just on the table, but off it. And me and my dad have lost one of our closest friends. So that was for Joe. So very touching there. Someone obviously very important to to Mark and Mark's own father in their life. And, uh, you know, we just say it's, you know, a final between two heavyweight stars. It didn't go all the way as we thought it probably would do when you think of two of those players of that quality. But in the end, Mark just had too much to judge. He was a very good winner. He was, yeah. Yeah, I like those short sentiments about Joe Short because um, I, don't, I don't know much about him other than what Mark's spoken about. But Mark had spoken about him regularly. He, he posted about it over the summer. Um, well, I spoke to him at the English Open and he was mentioning it there. Um, and then it was lovely for him to get the chance to pay pay tribute to him at, with a trophy in his hand. So that was excellent for him. Um, and yeah, it was a bit of an odd final in a way. I mean, it, it sort of sounded like it would be close. Um, but And... Right at the start, it looked like, I mean, they both started great. That, it was very odd that Tr- Trump made that brilliant century in the second frame, sort of playing exhibition shots early on. And then he lost, what, six, five, six frames in a row after that? Um, crazy stuff, really. A um, couple of, you know, there was that pink that looked like it very much wasn't going in in the third frame for Mark at the end, and it dropped. I'm not sure if it killed that turning point. certainly helped him. Um, but then that brilliant um, pinching of the fourth frame, and then he was away from there, really. Um, Judd had a funny performance because his sort of long game stayed brilliant throughout. And often when, you know, these sort of, those kind of elite players, if they're just a bit off, it's often, or it feels like that, it's the long game that doesn't quite click. So they're not creating these chances themselves. Because usually when they do create a chance themselves, that's when they really kick into their brilliant best. But you seem to be still knocking in the really hard parts and they're missing some of the easy ones. So it was a strange one. Um don't think it's a massive negative for him. You know, he's got a week off now and he'll be still uh, probably the bookmaker's favourite in York or certainly in the top two or three. Um, but so, so will Alan. He'll, be, he'll certainly be in the top handful of favourites as a defending champion, full of confidence now. And he said some really interesting other things afterwards um, about, because he'd spoken about some flaws in his technique that he thought had crept in. And that's why he was sort of especially missing the input of Joe Short and... Uh, other former coaches. And he said after he won, he'd spoken to a couple of coaches in recent weeks um, and realised that actually what he was doing is absolutely fine, discarded everything they said and just said, I'm going back to basics. I'm just going to enjoy it. And here's the fruits of those labours. So uh, amazing stuff that um, he can, you know, that's such confidence in your own game to speak to sort of world-class level coaches and go, actually, no, I like what I was doing. I'll stick to that. 
Bosch win a huge tournament. So he'll be very, very confident heading to York. He really will. Yeah, you said it so well there. And of course, for, for both these players to be in such good form, it's, it, it bodes so well uh, for the UK Championship. We know qualifying and that is, of course, already underway. And yeah, it kind of was an odd final, really. I mean, I can't remember whether it was 73 or 74% now. I think 73 in the poll I put up. And I had a few hundred people voting in that, going for Judd. And, you know, I've already used that word, those words, recency bias. Maybe it was that because he was in such good form with the tournaments in a row that he won, whereas Mark hadn't really done that. But listen, Mark played very, very well during the week, you know, so maybe people should have should have realised that or thought that the final would be closer. But I guess most made Judd favourite. But as you say, one it was 1-1, one, one, break of 1-2-3, and an excellent one from, from Judd to make it one all. And then... Well, it was just Alan surging clear. Highlight being a break of one three seven from him, and uh, it was seven one, wasn't it? Judd got the last one of the session seven two, but you know, to all intents and purposes, you're not finished at seven two. But you've got such an uphill struggle, especially if you're playing someone as good as Mark Allen. And I think you have to win three one, don't you? That's the minimum, I would say. That make, that would make it eight five, wouldn't it? And eight five, you know, then it's a few, you know maybe worries from the player in front, but uh, it wasn't like that. Trump did get the first one back and just gave a little inkling, ah, are we going to be in for one of those comeback nights? Similar actually to what Mark did to Ding. And I meant mm. to look up, I meant to look up the score. I didn't quite do it. That must've been five or six, one or something like that. Not dissimilar. Yeah. And yeah. Then, comfortably had, yeah. Yeah. And so it, do, it obviously does happen. Obviously it does, but um, it didn't after it got to seven, three, it was then Allen all the way. And uh, closing in style with a break of 75. And actually, I think we are generally spoiled enormously over the years with very close finals. But we had a, a fair few finishing at sort of eight o'clock, it feels of late. And it does happen. And, it, and it, uh, in a funny kind of way, it will make us appreciate the next one more. Maybe for the law of averages, we're going to have a great UK final A. But um, yeah, Mark was, um, you know, a really good winner. And you know what? And I like lots of things about Mark Allen. One thing I really like, and I know he's probably done this for a long time, but I've only personally noticed it really come to the fore in the last couple of seasons. He's always saying he gets straight back on the practice table. And even when he wins massive things, he did it in the UK. I remember because I was in York for that. I really remember him saying it. He did it again this time I read. He was, you know, yeah, I'm doing well, but, you know, I'm getting straight back on the practice table in the morning, get ready for the UK. And again, that's what they all, they all do. But to see, there's that humility there. I like that feel, always working. And that's sort of all good signs for him. Yeah, well, Judd said that in his interview afterwards with Rob Walker that um, Mark's clearly been working hard his game. He's been working hard in his whole life. You know, he, he looks a completely different player, um, a different, different person. Um, it's sort of shocking when I go on, uh, when I'm writing articles and you go on our little image, uh, like gallery, library, and uh, you stray into one from a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, he just he's almost unrecognisable from the man he is now. And... Yeah, it's part of his new sort of work ethic and dedication uh, to his game and to his life almost, and uh, it's all paying off. You know, he's had a, he's had an amazing year, um, and he he's elevated himself from one of those guys who you wouldn't be shocked to win a tournament, see win a tournament, but you wouldn't be like particularly confident in backing them to do so. But now he's up there with, uh, yeah, you know, with 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 the, the very elite group of favourites at the top and. Uh, you know, what a place to be that is. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think he's broken into that 
that that pattern of people in the game, that group that you think, you know, he, he, you're almost expecting to win any tournament he enters, actually. He, he, he's one of that collection now. And that, yeah, as you say, he, he wasn't like that even two two years ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't like talking about weight and never have done, really. But um, I, I do think that you, what makes me think now is that some of the posters you see promoting events, not, not many, but I noticed two or three creeping, and actually that's the old. I'm sure the chaps won't be very happy with that. That's one from them yeah. three years ago. John Higgins is a bit the same, isn't he? They they look quite different actually, but they still pop up. So maybe they we could do up, updating a yeah. few a few of those images. But Phil, let's go back and talk about some of the earlier matches in the tournament then, and kick off last Monday with uh, what well, Mark Allen was the first to appear in the tournament, uh, bookending it nicely. He beat Jimmy White four one, and then Ali Carter beat Mark Selby. Uh, Four three, uh, what well, was that? The use of phrase wasn't it about that one about proper grind or something you use? I think it might have been that one. But anyway, it was a bit like that real battle between two battle hardened players, and um, and Ali came out on top. But then we saw the pattern, didn't we, throughout the week of um, the player that played first, then winning in the evening. And I, I think I saw a few players say, actually, you know, it is a real advantage, which I suppose I suppose is obvious. And we saw a pretty comfortable win that night for Mark Allen and uh, over Ali Carter. Win him 6-2. Break of 1-4-3 from Carter, actually, the highest of the event. But Allen too strong. Breaks of 1-3-5, 100, 70 and 98. And he was the day one winner. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there really wasn't much time for Ali after that game of Selby. Um, I think by the time he'd done his little interview afterwards, it might have been an hour before he had to get back out there. So, yeah, you can definitely see why it's an advantage for Mark Tov is a relatively comfortable win against Jimmy, although he lost the first round, didn't he? Um, and then have his feet up in the afternoon, get ready as and when he wants. Um, and Ali had played really well against Selby, um, made a number of good breaks. Um, it was sort of, I mean, it was hard match play. It wasn't just sort of grinding out, though. It was a good game um, and a great win for Carter. But yeah, up against it, coming straight back on against Allen, who whacked in a 1 3 5 in the first frame and showed he meant business. And, uh, yeah, I mean that was sh- that sort of showed what was to come for the rest of the week. You know, Alan four one six two, as we'll come to, he wasn't really challenged in any match. It wasn't just the final. Um, sort of strolled to the title, which is incredible given the level of competition in this event. Absolutely, you know that's very much the pattern of it. And well, moved on to two, last Tuesday then, and it was Barry Hawkins uh, four, Luca Purcell nil. Yeah, Luca, not other races really, and. Well, I remember us saying, I, I certainly remember me saying, I'll own it, saying that, you know, after that good run, he has it in Shanghai. Mm. I remember saying, oh, he's one of those that looks like you'll just not not wear it too heavy being a world champion. But, you know, maybe I was wrong and maybe he is. Or maybe, as I've heard others say, he's not really, you know, pl- playing in an enormous amount. And maybe that's it. He's not battle-hardened enough. He'll come good. Of course he will. Uh, you know, and you know, as we said many, many times, the history of the game is littered with players that haven't won an enormous amount of matches, let alone tournaments. They haven't won an enormous amount of matches in the season following being a first-time Crucible winner. That's just a fact. That's what's happened, you know, time in, time out over the years. So it'll be interesting to see. He's obviously, he can, he can turn it on any time, Luca, enough to win the tournament. He's that good. So, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be particularly worried about him. But at the moment, he's finding you know life quite hard work. Robert Milkins, who hasn't been finding life hard work at all over the last season or two, another really good win, beat Mark Williams 4-2. Uh, 
And then it was Barry Hawkins, six, Robert Milkins, two uh, in the evening. Now, I watched the early part of that match, and what it made me think, Hawkins won the first frame having needed two snookers, and he, he was miles out of the frame. Milkins just dominated it, and Barry just got back to win it. And there was a correspondent on Dave Hendon's snooker scene pod about two or three episodes ago, made an interesting point or, you know, a suggestion that they thought that I think frames go on so long in the snooker's required stage that when a player's over the line, that should be it. You know, whatever it is, you pop the ball to get over the line, that's it. I, I don't I don't agree with that, I have to say. Uh, and I think one of the reasons is you, you'd be robbed. It might not happen often, but it happened quite a few times this week, actually. And that was one example of not just it happening, but I felt it had an influence on the match, even though it was the first frame, Phil. Because Milky's never really got into it apart from that. Barry was a good winner. So I thought it was a really interesting way it started. Barry started slowly, but won that first frame and never really looked back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I've never got on board with that sort of scrapping snookers thing. Maybe if you get to sort of four or five plus, you know, a ref could step in because sometimes it's just like you see him coming back to the table and you think, Oh come on, mate! Yeah, you've got you've got zero point zero 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 one percent chance here. But you know, two, three, Stu, because definitely, and it's amazing when you see frames one like that. It's not that irregular as you say. Um, but yeah, Barry has been playing great. I watched the game against Luca. I mean, yeah, Luca missed one or two, but he, he didn't get many chances really. Hawkins was just potting absolutely everything. Um, and I think we said before, beforehand. Um, the bookies haven't really split them too much, but I think the general consensus is that Hawkins should have been favourite for that game, and and he proved it there. Um, was very very impressive. Um, Milkins looked good against Williams as well. He hadn't even done much this season really. Just a lot less than Williams, who won the British, um, but looked good. And then uh, yeah, Barry was uh, you know he's, he did what he's been doing all season. He's been such a regular quarter final semi finalist, um, just ruthlessly consistent at the at the business end. So he was. He was looking very dangerous at that point, wasn't he, the Hawk? Very much so. One of the players of the season so far, and he, he he's a, he's just doing it week in, week out at the moment. You know, he's not he's not winning stuff. He's going very deep. On to last Wednesday then, and no Ronnie O'Sullivan, which we were hoping for that day. Um, he pulled out to, uh, quotes, look after his mental health, uh, saying he feels a bit drained and stressed. And we, of course, wish Ronnie well. He was replaced in the tournament by Ding Junhui. And we saw an afternoon, well, a contrasting matches actually <laughs> leading up to the group. One that was over, over in about uh, in about 20 minutes, it felt like. It was longer than that, obviously, but it's very, very quick. John Higgins four, Chris Wakelin nil. Wakelin not on the races there. Surprising. I thought it might be quite close. But then, I mean, Ding Junhui four, Zhang Ander three. I mean, it tested my recent claim that you can't have a classic best of seven, Phil. Yeah. That, 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 that nearly put pain to that already. Um, superb match. Ding 3-0 up. One clearance from Zhang, who came back to 3-3, was absolutely magnificent. And I said before, one, one of the many, 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 many things I love about this game is that sometimes, you know, videos lead sport a lot these days, and in this sport as well, those little clips are sort of really essential, I think, to sort of selling the sport and enjoying the sport. But what I love about snooker is that sometimes a still image can tell you Maybe, maybe more, and I love that. This is a real example of that, that Zhang was miles out of the frame, and I think it was 57 behind with 59 on, 
So he needed blacks with three out of the four reds. And the table was really ho- horrible. And he did it. It was absolutely brilliant clearance of 58, right up there with, with any clearance you could see. Got back to 3-3. If that wasn't enough, the decider went to the final black fill. <laughs> Ting wanted to get over the line 4-3, but just brilliant stuff. And then in the evening, again, the first player that won managed to do the job in the evening as well. John Higgins beating Ding Jun Wei 6-1. Four breaks in the 80s and two in the 90s from John. He really was uh, very good indeed in that match. Ding really not to, not at the levels he needed to be on that evening. But yeah, that afternoon match, perhaps the one that sticks in the memory from the day. Uh, and it was just a yeah a, a, a joy to watch. Wish it had been long on the best of 7 A. Yeah, definitely. It was... Um... Yeah, Ding looked like he was going to be sort of classic Denmark territory there, getting the late call up, and then he was amazing. Uh, 74, 65, 100 and 60. He looked like he was going to win 4 0 with Zhang scoring almost no points at all, certainly no frames, and then battled back to make not just a game of it, but like you said, uh, as classic as a classic as a best of seven could be. Um, and I was pleased with Zhang because, you know, it's, it's not been a one off already, but because he got to the English final and then won the international. Um, but to come back from that and then just be sort of um, smashed out the park 4-0 on Champion of Champions debut would have been um, a little bit sad. Um, but he, he didn't do that at all. He battled really hard, as you say, produced those clearances um, and took one more step to proving that, you know, it's not just a flash in the pan. He's he's ready to stay amongst the the, the top end of the game. So hopefully see some more from him. Um, yeah, I mean, on the other side, uh, Chris did have a really disappointing Champion of Champions debut. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he had a good chance of causing upset there, to be honest. But um, it, it was just one of those days. Didn't play well. It happens. Um, he'll be very frustrated with that because you know he'll think some people will be seeing him for the first time there, and you know that's not Chris Wakelin's game. That was uh, levels below what he's capable of. So disappointing there. But yeah, John started to look really good. Six one against Ding's a fantastic result. Um, I think he said afterwards he can't really play much better than that. Um, what was it? Six breaks over eighty, uh, no tons. But mm. this is we we have this conversation occasionally that tons are overrated because um, that they're six breaks that have won him six frames, um, and he hasn't got any centuries on his record for that. In fact, Ding made the only century of the match, um, but it shows how much they they matter there when you can knock in eight season nine. Yeah, John was looking exceptional there, um, and yeah, Ronnie, uh, Ronnie was meant to be there. Um, that was a, f- a funny morning on the Tuesday morning, wasn't it? I oh, know that was a Wednesday morning, but mm. this was the Tuesday morning when we were trying to work out if he was playing or not because there were those rumours going around whether mm. he'd be back from China or not. Mm. Um, and th- this is <laughs> this is when you're trying to sort of cover things live on Twitter because I was speaking to someone in Ronnie's camp. I've been someone from Matchroom, and they both said very similar things to me. They said he's back in the country. They've spoke to him. He's not confirmed it, but they think he's going to play. So I, I tweeted words to that effect. Um, which was the accurate information at the time. And I think within 90 seconds, Ronnie tweeted that he's not playing. <laughs> Having I, After I just tweeted saying he's very likely to play. So, yeah, it was accurate stuff at the time, but unfortunately it only remained accurate for about a minute and a half. But that's the that's the, the job we work in, isn't it, Nick? But um, live, live uh, fast-moving news, but he didn't end up playing. And, yeah, I think he was just sort of stressed, done an awful lot of tra- travelling, Got the documentary and all that's all that's been wrapped up with that. I think he just wanted a week off when he got back from China, and he made the decision very late. So you know, fair enough. Well, that's what it's like growing up in this era 
Harry Watts in a very different time, Phil, when he got like you know, little little snippets on the wireless during the day and, and uh, you know, maybe a bit of television news and it wouldn't have been an issue. But yes, in this day and age, when people expect news updated every minute, not just every hour, a couple of hours, yeah, no, these are the, the perils you can face. I want to say I've done you, done you a bit of a disservice and I've, it's been in my mind ever since I said it. I think you said grit central about Ali Carter, <laughs> not grind. I think that's a, that's an unfair. Well, that's a bit that's a bit of a more of a negative word. I think you said grit, didn't you? I think that yeah, I would. I certainly would have meant it negatively. I think grit central would have been because yeah, they are very gritty competitors. Yeah, they weren't was a grinding it. match. I said there was no, it wasn't. Breaks in there. As soon as I said it, I thought I think I think I got that word wrong, but um. Uh, uh, I now have said that was what you said. And let's move on to Thursday, Phil, and talk about Judge Trump uh, beating by Pat Siripapon at 4-0 in a match that um, was over pretty quickly. And yeah, let, let's be honest, w- w- went the way that m- most of us might have been expecting. Uh, uh, Trump against the Women's World Champion, of course, and Trump just, you know, exceptional, uh, you know, uh, Said it already, but his standards this season have been absolutely sparkling. He, you know, and I'd agree with you. He must be Bookie's favourite for York. I haven't actually looked at the odds, but I imagine he would be. And uh, that was followed up then by a match that I thought might have gone all the way, as their last couple have, but it, it didn't. It was Sean Murphy for uh, Gary Wilson one, so pretty comfortable win there for Sean. And then Judd Trump six. Sean Murphy four in the evening, and I was getting texts from you from other people. Are you watching this? That was the night I saw the Ronnie O'Sullivan documentary, so I wasn't. There was some brilliant snooker being played. I caught up on all the, the key moments, including the yellow, the shot on the yellow that everybody loves from Trump, which was absolutely outstanding, wasn't it? What a shot to play it like he did and to disturb the red. It was wow, Alan McManus on commentary, really nice bit of commentary as well. It was great stuff. It was, you know, and Sean played very well by by reading up, catching up on the match. You know, he he'll play far far better than that in his you know career at any time. You know, and uh, you know he played far far worse than that. Win matches, I beg your pardon. You know, he didn't play badly at all, but just Jub showed his class again. Won it six four, and I think we probably thought before, you know, he'd be he'd be the winner of that day, and that's how. It, that's how it proved, and he's just yeah going from strength to strength in this amazing season for him. Yeah, and that, that, just the way he won that match felt like he was going to win the title again because it was just kept pulling out those clearances, those ridiculous shots. Um, yeah, that I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen that yellow and the moving of the red. It was uh, amazing stuff. Um, and yeah, Murphy's had that a couple of times this season. Uh, which tournament was it? He lost to Lisowski. Well, Lisowski did that mad clearance at the end. Can't remember now, um, but. He's had two or three very good performances where um, he hasn't got the result out of, but as you say, could easily have played a lot worse in many other games than one. So he, he, I'm sure he won't be too down on his form. Uh, but Judge, yeah, Judge just looked sort of unstoppable at that point, didn't he? Um, that uh, Sean against Gary was a was an odd one. Wilson had a lot of chances, but he, he's not he's not been consistent at all so far this season. So he would have been frustrated. Um, and yeah, Judge against Bypat, um there was. Bypat crunched in the first red of the match with an amazing long red. And it was just like, oh, what's going to happen here then? And, you know, we didn't really follow up from there. But um, at least that was a nice little memory. Um, a highlight reel shot to, to stick on the CV there. But, yeah, I mean, that, that game went, as you say, as as we expected. Yeah, and she had a sort of couple of, couple of chances. And, like, you know, she 
a couple of times might take advantage early on, but yeah, it just uh, it was just Judd just doing what he's done to everyone pretty much all season, just looking you know not, not unstoppable by any means. There's so many other good players around, but as you say at that stage, you sort of think, can he really do it again? Four and five, he looked like he was might have been a good position to do just that. And then of course we have the, the semi-finals, which I know it doesn't seem to be everyone's cup of tea. The old waiting for the evenings, but I'm first one of the pod from me, Phil. Thinking away gives it a little bit of gravitas. Waiting all day for the night, I kind of there's, there's an element of it I quite like. For United Saturday night, the first one was Judd Trump uh, six, Barry Hawkins three. Well, I mean that they've had some really good battles this season, let alone in the past. They keep seem to play each other, and they're all they're all good pretty much. But the real surprise was Trump go five nil up. I mean, no matter how good he's been, no, I don't think anyone saw that uh, happening. Uh, Barry made a real five it from there, got back to five three. But um, Trump got over the line, got himself into yet another final. And then Mark Allen, six, John Higgins, two. That was a bit odd as well, because Higgins won the opening frame. And it was 2-2 at the interval. It was a bit of tit for tat. This might go all the way. What a long night. I put a picture of Coco up um, on my my social media, Phil. (laughs) That's what I was expecting. But it wasn't quite like that in the end, because Hawkins powered to the line, helped by breaks of 102 and 77. He won it 6-2, got himself in the final. We had a wonderful final to look forward to then, uh, Trump and Allen. But uh, yeah, Hawkins and Higgins will probably think they didn't quite perform as they were the light to on the, on, the, on those big stages. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, like you say, 2-2, two, two, Allen and Higgins. Um, I can't remember who was on punditry. I, I, I think it was Neil Fold said, oh, we're in for a long night here. This is going to go all the way. Um and yeah, there were two. There were to be fair, there were two more close frames. They just went to Allen, and he made two of the big breaks. So, you know, it can happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, another semi-final loss for Johnny. He's sort of becoming very, very regular. Um, and yeah, that, the other game was a bit weird because I would say so. Judd wasn't amazing really until won it quite comfortably. Um, yeah, so I would definitely say Hawkins would have been a bit frustrated that uh, he didn't put up more of a fight. Although he did. I mean. To win three on the spin from five nil down is some fight. So I'm not saying he didn't put any fight up, but um, given how well he's been playing, I think he would have been a bit disappointed with his performance there. Um, and yeah, I think at that point, and some pe- a few people said this that Allen had been the best player of the tournament so far. So yeah, I think the majority would have picked Trump, but it wasn't overwhelming. I'm sure mm. there were a, a fair number of people who, on the performances over the first. Uh, three matches for them um, would have fancied Alan there, but I don't think many people were tipping them through it. No, no, it's a real surprise. I say a bit of a pattern this season of finals. Well, sorry, we're very UK centric. You know, it would have finished at all sorts of different times for our international listeners, but around about eight pm for us here in the UK. You know, with evening sessions tending to start at seven pm. Yeah, over quickly. Uh, we feel a bit short changed, as I say. <laughs> you know. To say we've been sport over the years by the, the incredible amount of Sunday night drama we've witnessed would, would would be an understatement. So Mark Allen winning the tournament then, beating Judd Trump 10-3 in the final. We say congratulations to him. And we say you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Phil, let's move on to a story that was pretty dominant in the early part of the week, shall we? Which was a comment made by Stephen Hendry, the seven times world champion. Now, ITV presenter Jill Douglas asked Hendry uh, how impressed he was uh, by the women's world champion. Uh, by Pat uh, Siri Paporn. Henry said, I've got to be honest, I've never seen her play. Uh, it caused a bit of a furore, I think it's fair to say. Um, and well, the first thing I have to say about it is that I, I do have some sympathy with Stephen on this one because what, what it brought to my mind about uh, just my own life in the media is working for a London radio station the best part of 20 years ago and covering a couple of football seasons there. And the presenter had a habit of chucking out hot potato questions all the time. You know, he he would sort of, you know, he would do like a, he scored for the reserves the other night, didn't he? He'd do that all the time. <laughs> he started the Doncaster, didn't he? About all these players, you know. And, and, and it has to be said, you know, I wasn't even covering a regular team. I was covering a number of different teams every week. So, you know, I, I do think, to, you know, I'm not saying Henry was chucked the hottest potato of all time, but it's quite a warm potato, I think. Wasn't it for the first for the first day of the tournament? You know how impressed are you by a player that you know probably most people haven't seen too much. But I also think the important thing to say here, and m- m- most people I say have probably missed this, but um, some haven't, and we have it involved in our correspondence we've got coming up. Is that Stephen has done this a fair bit actually? This is not just a, a bypass thing. Um, just for example, friend of the podcast George Wayne reminded me on his Twitter, that last year's champion of the champions, Henry said he'd never seen Fang Zhengzhi. Now, he's a relatively young player, obviously, but he had won a ranking event the season before, reached a quarterfinal of a really high-profile event in the German Masters, and had been on television quite a lot. Actually, there are, lo- there are lots of examples, but, you know, rest assured, you know, Stephen's done this, a, you know, a fair bit. And actually, he's spoken about it in the last couple of days on his own YouTube channel and says, you know, he does only really watch the ITV and BBC events he's working on, but almost feels like he has a different role to play as a pundit and as obviously as a legendary big-name pundit, one of the greatest players ever. Most people have him as second. Some people still say he's first. He's that level of amazing in the history of this sport, clearly. And that, to be fair, is what many snooker people are themselves saying. Um, I mean, I would say, just by devil's advocate, there are only 16 players in this event. And isn't it part of its charm and status having champions from those less high-profile events like the shootout, like the Women's World Championship, like the seniors? And in a way, doesn't that make this a, a bit worse as it's one of the, the players that have won one of those events? And, you know... <sighs> 
it, I guess it's similar to many, many. I was speaking to a big, big name player in, in the last day or two, and they were saying they think it's another lazy punditry and snooker. That was their their opinion. Um, but isn't it different, maybe, with Hendry to someone like you know John Parrott, who's coming for a lot of criticism from snooker fans because Hendry does nine or ten events a year, not just the three that Parrott would do. He has his own YouTube channel. He's now a presenter of the World Snooker Tour official podcast. You know, he's very, very heavily involved in the media side. Does that not involve certain responsibilities to maybe see even a snippet of the Women's World Champion? There are a few ideas from me. But you know what, Phil? I'm not going to now do what I've uh, suggested that maybe is not the desired thing and give you a hot potato. <laughs> I want to say that's my view and totally independent of that. Now let's have yours. Yeah, I enjoyed your uh, warm potato. Uh, it's uh, it certainly not a fresh out the freezer you know, cold potato. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I said on Twitter, it's not crime of the century, but also it's a bit poor because Sean Murphy called it poor. Um, I do get, I mean, yeah, I mean, I haven't got a really strong opinion either way. I think, uh, I think I would like all pundits to be able to answer questions that they're given because that's why they're there you know uh quite a lot of people responded to this by saying well i haven't seen bipac play i don't think hardly anyone's seen bipac play um and i mean my response to that would be well that should be even more reason why the guys on the telly should be able to tell you what she plays like then because hardly anyone who's watching the telly has seen her so you know the experts on the tv should be able to say well you know here's what to look out for i've seen a bit of this this is what she does well uh bloody bloody blah and yeah maybe that's more Alan McManus's job or more Neil Foles' job, but you know it's whoever's job is is there, and uh, uh, I think that it, it's it's pretty low bar we're sort of asking for. You know, it's sort of Googler, uh, click on a YouTube link and watch it for ten minutes with your coffee in the morning, and then you've got something to say, haven't you? Because these guys know what they're looking for in terms of um, skills. Um, but at the same time, I get that uh, pundits play different roles. And I was thinking about this in other sports and uh, watching the football. I love watching and listening to Roy Keane, um, mm. who is there to just sort of give quite forthright views, uh, very entertaining. And he sort of knows what he's doing. He plays up to it. Mm. But at no point are you expecting sort of deep uh, statistical or historical analysis from Roy Keane. You're just expecting that kind of thing. Um, and I'm not saying Henry does the same thing as that, but I'm saying pundits bring different things and different angles. And, uh, you know, no one is expecting Stephen Hendry to be like a stats guru, uh, like Phil, Phil Yates or Dave Hendon. And they're not even really expecting him to know as much as, uh, Alan or Neil. Um, so then we're just sort of arguing about what, how much he should know then. So <laughs> it's all just sort of opinion about what you want from your pundits. And plenty of people have said, oh, they don't really care. Um, Personally, I would like, I would like, you know, um, an answer just because it shows some level of interest and uh, work's got into it. Um, and like I said, you know, there's loads of people who uh, would like to hear an answer of the experts on the telly. Um, mm. But as I said, it's not the end of the world. Um, mm. uh, you know, I think it was nearly past two who then did answer the question. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's just sort of how you how i prepare for things like yeah i wouldn't dream of being in a situation where i wouldn't be able to answer that kind of question on the telly but i haven't won seven world championship titles so i haven't got that sort of kudos to go there without that so uh you know each their own on to on what people thought about that 
Um, I'd like the pundits to be as clued up as possible, um, but at the same time, I wasn't furiously writing a letter to the the ITV commissioner to get Henry disbarred. I can't imagine you're furious writer of letters to many people, really. But very rarely furious about anything, to be honest. But there we fine. are. Exactly, and I mean some of the the, the press stories. I mean. I, th- I think I, saw, I think I saw the word anger or angry George Douglas. I mean, have you ever seen anyone less angry than George Douglas in that situation? <laughs> Probably not. It, it's a funny thing to remind me of, but it actually reminded me of an an old um, episode of Extra, the BBC comedy. I don't know if you, you would have been like that. Yeah, there was that great episode. I think when uh, I'm not going to go into the specific storyline, but I think it was brilliantly done where they basically took viewers through a morning of entertainment i.e nick ferrari's radio show matthew ryan on the television this morning and it got more and more ridiculous he's like what he hit somebody he did this what he oh, abused okay. that person and i thought it was a little bit like that with this it got more and more ridiculous and uh but and it just shows you know the power of the media and how these things can get a bit out of control like your roy Keane analogy uh, i really get that but you know what Another example from sport, and I always think racing has similarities in terms of the size of sport, the profile, the coverage. I mean, historically, some would argue that going back deep in in time, racing had a much higher profile. But just thinking about today's world and, you know, two members of ITV, same channel as Henry was on here, ITV's team, Ruby Walsh and AP McCoy. So AP McCoy. Now, they're legends of the sport. They're both, you know, legendary former jockeys two of the greats in the history of, of racing. Yeah, they're absolutely across everything. You know, and th- you never get the idea from those two that they haven't seen someone or they don't know much about the course or they're not sure about what, what, what the big race of the day means or even the other races. So I just sometimes think, do we have different standards in snooker? And, and if so, why do we have different standards? That, that's some of the things that I think, you know, do we have better standards? Are we more, are we right to be more casual and, we offer, you know, we have that more sensible thing where different pundits do different things, or do we have sort of maybe less impressive standards where you know we don't have those all-round TV teams where people know a bit of sort of everything? I don't know. It's only putting it out there. But tell you what, Phil, let's just see what some of our listeners yeah, have to say. I just had yeah. one thing that I forgot to mention. That yeah, it was more about sort of the the reaction to it, a bit like you said, how it got <laughs> sort of got bigger and bigger. But it was almost one of those stories that. Didn't seem like a massive story, and I didn't actually see ma- too many sort of really strong reactions either way. It was a, it was something that created just enough reaction that loads of people gave a response to. So it became sort of it went round everywhere. Um, it was just enough to people go, oh, "That's a bit poor," or "Not that bothered he did that." But it was enough for loads and loads of people to give that much of an opinion. And there were some more strong opinions, but that sort of. A good sort of ninety percent of the centre was a bit of an opinion, one way or the other. But it was just enough where it sort of for a day or so, it felt really bit like a big story. But I didn't really read too many sort of like really intense opinions about it. Do you know what I mean? It just sort of gathered enough pace to get going without anyone being that angry about it or anything. Oh, I do. And, you know, we have that thing about, well, we say those words time and time again, quiet news day. Well, I was thinking, you know, it was actually a really quiet news week, mm. wasn't it? I mean, you work in the game as I do. Um, I was just thinking earlier, actually, Everton being docked 
10 points was a was a seismic story that came on friday of last week yeah. before that i mean it felt like four days of build up to England v Malta. There's nothing going on <laughs> really at all. You know, there's cricket World Cup semi-finals, but again, you know, sort of be parochial, but here England weren't in them. So yeah, there, there was attention on them, but it wasn't enormous attention. So it was kind of quiet. So it was almost like a bit of a perfect storm for this story to sort of get bigger than perhaps it would otherwise have done had it been a Premier League midweek or European Cup midweek type thing. But yeah, no, I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Well, we have had Sophie Chapman write to us and it's only female correspondent on this, actually, it has to be said. I think this entire incident is extremely poor, she says, and disrespectful to BiPAT and women's snooker as a whole. But perhaps it also speaks to a wider issue of the promotion and resources put into women's snooker. If the Women's World Championship and its competitors manage to completely escape the attention of someone like Hendry, then that suggests that not enough is being done to market women's snooker to snooker fans. I think other sports are far better at promoting their female talent and bringing them into the consciousness of fans. For example, darts has done a good job in recent years with Fallon Sherrick and Bo Greaves. However, we expect pundits and commentators to provide us with extra insight into the players. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect them to have at least some knowledge of every player involved in this tournament. Every competitor has done something notable in winning a tournament, and it's not hard to at least search on YouTube for some clips of players prior to the tournament if you're not completely familiar with them. Unfortunately, people like Hendry get away with a laziness just because of who they are. It's a massive shame. A lot of the time it feels like fans have seen more of the players than certain ITV and BBC pundits and commentators. Audiences will struggle to develop a passion for snooker and an interest in the players if the people who are employed to talk about snooker on TV are lacking in this. And that's from Sophie, who's on at Sophie, H-N-N-H, so S-O-A-P-Y-H-N-N-H on X, of course, the new name for Twitter. And, well, I mean, that. thank you for your views there. Uh, I mean, I would say women's snooker's uh, come on leaps, leaps and bounds in terms of coverage in the last year or two. Obviously, a long way to go in many ways. You know, you look across sport and you think that the sky's the limit a little bit for the for the way women's sport, it, you know, is going. And, you know, your, your views about Hendry uh, are, are noted. And as I say, there's, there's two opinions. Some people do think he, he should have known more. He should have seen BiPAP. Some people say, no, that's not his role. That's not what he does. So it's good to have your views. And, um, yeah, maybe you want to respond to that, Phil, and then move on to Tom. Yeah, it's, it's a good point that, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to watch the women's game than, um, you know, there are women on tour, bypass on tour, obviously, but, you know, the games aren't sort of centre stage, are they? Um, but also, yeah, I mean, it's similar to the point I made before, you know, a lot of people are tweeting me after it saying, well, how could he possibly have seen it? You know, just it, you put a name in, in Google or YouTube, it, it is there, so it's not that hard. Um, but yeah, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you can't really argue with a lot of the stuff that so said. Uh, the sports have done better to push the women's game to the forefront. Um, Snooker got a long way to go, but efforts are being made. Um, and yeah, Hendry as well. <laughs> it is sort of pick on Stephen Hendry because of this easy answer to this. But you mentioned before, like there are worse examples on the BBC. Um, so, I don't, yeah, the whole thing is sort of feels very attacking Stephen, which I don't really want to do. But um uh, the points are being made about him, obviously, for obvious reasons. And uh, yeah, give, give Sophie a follow on Twitter, though. She's very funny. Um, 
So next, we've got Tom Padfield. Hi, guys. Big fan of the show. I'm a bit disappointed with the uproar surrounding Stephen Henry's comments. Whilst I agree he could have worded it better, I don't actually think he said what he said was too problematic. I do understand that pundits are paid to give insight in the game, especially the size of the game that may not get as much media attention, such as women's tournaments. However, with the event in question not being televised, is it not the people above Henry's head that should be brought into the firing line? The beauty of snooker is that men and women compete in the same arenas, on the same tables, in the same tournaments, as there is no physical advantage to either set of genetics. This is something that should have been addressed 40 years ago. We should now be in a position where we have female champions on the trophy at the Crucible. Being said, the poor marketing strategies of those at the top have left the sport in a strange purgatory between the sexy, smoky sport of the 80s and this overly professionalised institution of players lacking any personality and fear of being called out for it. The amount of awareness and acceptance in women's football is admirable nowadays because the likes of Sky and the FA identified a shift in times and we now have millions of young women playing football with idols they get to see every week on TV, but the Women's World Championship gets zero live coverage. What example does that set? All in all, yes, I think Henry could have handled the question better, but for the likes of Sean Murphy to be calling for his head is actually the definition of lazy journalism. All the best, Tom. Well, some strong stuff from Tom there. Uh, some good points, though. I don't know if Sean was calling for his head. Um, I don't, he certainly didn't say that. Um, but Sean did have some strong words about it. It was entertaining on the 147 pod, as always. Um, but yeah, interesting stuff from Tom there. Thanks for the email. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, that, that is that lazy journalism is an actual reference to the other matter, isn't it? With, with Sean and Jill Douglas before, oh, yeah, I, God, think, I yeah. think. I didn't clock to it. Yeah, but that's right. Yeah. And yeah, but, you know, Tom is saying that he's, you know, disappointed with the uproar. And in, in, indeed, many, you know, many people are, are saying that. So, I mean, I would like to say that I'm a bit wary of naming names, but the people involved with, with you know, promoting women's snooker today and, and bringing it forward are, are doing a, a, a marvellous job. Perhaps one name, Matt Hewitt, who I know we've, has been a, made an immense contribution to a number of areas of snooker. He, he does brilliant work. I mean, I've been on record on saying here that it's not, the, it's not really about, it's probably not really about anyone that's doing it now. It, it just wasn't addressed years ago, was it? Really, I, I don't think. I, I think it started too slowly, and they're, and and they're almost starting from a sort of standing start. And you know that you know it's it's, it's nothing really about what people are doing now. It's more what was happening in the eighties, nineties, and beyond. But again, you know, it, you know, and I might have them, actually. I've got a bit more to say about. You know the women's game in general. Late, later on, when we when we talk about women's masters, but yeah, I think it's more to do with the sort of um, bit of a laissez-faire attitude from those that ran the game in yesteryear, really. But again, you know, that probably could be said across a lot of sports. In fairness, I mean, I write and sub an awful lot of stuff about women's football now, and of course, they were banned for many years in that sport. So you know, half a century. So you know, the, the, these are long-standing issues across across many sports and many are playing catch-up. But I think, you know, the catch-up's the important bit. And, we, we you know, as I say, the sky's the limit. You look at women's football now, it's absolutely incredible. There are over 40,000 people at the Manchester Derby yesterday here in the UK. It's on television all the time. And I think um, just to, it was Henry Winter, actually, the football correspondent of the Times of London, where I work now, and he, you know, someone asked Henry recently about what what the next big growth sport in the next ten years. Do you think cricket's going to go even bigger with twenty twenty or rugby 
or whatever. And he said, women's football. He said, absolutely no doubt. And probably by a mile. And I think, do you know what? He's, he's probably right. It's hard to think of anything that, that, that would grow as big as that. It's getting bigger, but the sky's the limit. So listen, snooker's not football, but there there is a, a groundswell of opinion and desire, I think, in the public to try and give women uh, and, and female competitors more of their dues than they've been given in the past, if I can put it like that. Mm. And let's move on then to Tony Johnson, who says, I think most people in the snooker media should call Hendry out for this, but too many won't, as they will be friends and or colleagues of his. With Hector Nunns now stepping away from snooker journalism, we badly need people in the snooker media to tell it how it is without any fear of being compromised. You two always seem to say exactly what you think on any topic. And that's why I think this podcast is such a brilliant listen. Thank you, Tony. I mean, I would like to say that we're probably a little bit in an easier position because we're probably not you know, employed by WST or or any of the TV companies. And it's probably a bit easier for us. It's human nature, isn't it, Phil? I mean, if you work with people, if you know people, it, it's difficult. And it's probably even more difficult in a sport like this, which is, you know, in, in some ways, in some ways big, but in the inner circle of it, probably quite small and everyone gets to know each other quite quickly. So you do have to tread carefully. That That's human nature, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But um, yeah, um, I think people sort of, should be able to know each other. That should be a bonus as well, because you'd say what you think and you can get past it because you'll know it well enough to be able to talk about it. But um, yeah, I mean, independence is is, is crucial in journalism. And uh, yeah, he's right that Hector go, uh, stepping away is, is, is a negative on that point. But um, the rest of us that are around will do our best to keep going. Um, I'm sort of aware that we should sort of continue through these emails a bit more quickly. So I'm going to crack on with James Brannan. Um, because he started brilliantly here. I agree with Phil, <laughs> who said on Twitter... Oh, that's why you wanted to move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who said on Twitter, this is hardly crime of the century, but I do think it is pretty poor from Hendry to admit on our t- television that he hasn't seen one of the 16 players taking part in a high-profile event that you're being paid fortunes to talk about. I mean, I couldn't say he's been paying, paid fortunes, but that was James' words. Um, this is far from the first time that Hendry has admitted to never having seen a player or seeing them very little. He's done it for years, actually. And when you think he now has a highly lucrative YouTube channel, he should really should show more respect to a sport that gives him such a wonderful life. Uh, there is one good thing for me, though. Some rare criticism of a broadcaster that isn't the BBC. For some reason, the BBC has been the one to get it in the neck for years from Snook fans. But there are plenty of examples of commentary and punditry from other channels that isn't up to scratch. ITV needs to up its game as much as any other channel that shows snooker. Thanks, James. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think the BBC has it's been a bit de rigueur to, to be very critical of the BBC. There have been faults in the BBC's coverage, but yeah, they're, they're, they're not alone, actually. I, I, I do see some sort of uh, you know, credence in that point. Uh, thank you for your for your point there, uh, James. And Rob Francis next. Hello, Talking Snooker. While a soft lambasting can be fun and debate is always healthy, I do believe the most recent indignation regarding Henry not having seen the reigning world champion play uh, before is really a case of a mountain being made out of a molehill. Firstly, Bypat is fresh on the tour, ranked 126, and yet to win a match. It's not like this is a player known to all that has simply not featured before the Triple Crowns. She hasn't really featured anywhere. While she may be Women's World Champion, which is a fantastic achievement, don't get me wrong, 
It is still ultimately an amateur tournament and was hardly easily accessible viewing across the board. Secondly, Hendry is a very popular commentator and pundit, but I'm not sure his popularity is due to an extensive knowledge regarding the players lower down the rankings. Yes, it wouldn't have done any harm were he to do a bit more research, but I really don't think it's a big deal in terms of the broadcast as a whole and what Stephen brings as an individual to it. Thirdly and finally, he's Stephen Bloody Hendry. He could have his feet up in the studio, cigar in hand. He should try that. Just feet up, cigar in <laughs> I like that. Not I know the fuck. Like that. Not, not know that. That was actually lockdown, wasn't it? Actually thinking about it. That was a, <laughs> a lot of that, yeah. Not know the foggiest about what's happening on tour. And I'd still be glad to have him on board. He's also involved in a multitude of snooker-related projects, not least as a player. So I think it's fair to cut in some slack, as he's obviously still got passion for the sport in a lot of ways. This is all in my humble opinion, of course. Keep up the fantastic work, chaps. You are the absolute kings of snooker podcasting. Uh, best regards, Rob. Uh, very kind of you, Rob. Thank you very much for those views. And, uh, yeah, staunch defence there of Hendry. And we should say that there have been a couple of new fan-led pods recently, Phil, including from the always very good Phil M18 snooker and also from Rob here alongside Lorenzo, both massive snooker fans. So that's great to see. And one aside, you know, I'm not sure we said it on air within our social media. You may remember that Lorenzo wrote in to John Higgins in our lengthy episode with John. They did meet up, didn't they? Lovely tale. John very kindly met up. Nice photograph together, nice chat together. I was at Cheltenham, I think, for the British Open. So that was really good. So, um, yeah, they're all top fans, and it's great to, to hear people sort of talk uh, about the game. And the more audio, as we've always said, the better. So uh, that that's all great stuff. And thank you for your correspondence. And uh, it's Joe next for you. Yeah, I'll just give a shout out. Uh, I did start. Uh, if Rob and Lorenzo are listening, I've started your podcast with uh, Andres Petrov, um, but it's like I've I'm, I've got a taste of my own medicine. You make such a long podcast, it takes ages to get through. I know what it's like listening to Talking Snooker now, but I will get to the end of it. And uh, uh, it's been very enjoyable so far, though. Um, Joe Gibney says, this is not about watching a woman play. This is about a snooker player making a big tournament where you should be expected to do some prep. It's your job, your homework. Parrot has got away with it for years, and now the bluffer Hendry has been found out. I don't expect football commentators to suddenly know the whole 104-year history of Cray Valley paper mills. I do expect them, though, at least to have made some effort to watch at least once in advance. Without the homework, you'll fail the viewers, and your opinion is worthless. Strong stuff and Joe. Yes, who is um, a regular correspondent of ours in life, isn't he, really? He basically fills us in all the sport we've been missing, so good service. But, yeah, strong views there. And um, I mean, there is a part of me that thinks, well, why is it not okay for John Parrott, but okay for Stephen Hendry? But I suppose others have asked, have answered it by saying, well, Hendry's that much of a legend that you want to hear the seven times world champion say stuff. And I think at the end of the day, Hendry is a more compelling pundit than Parrott, actually. And it's all subjective, as some people may think differently. But um, yeah, he's obviously there to do an incredible job. And he, listen, at times, he is absolutely amazing. It brought to mind actually seeing the Ronnie documentary that I remember that was it the third session or the, I think it was the, the penultimate session of the Higgins O'Sullivan. I thought it was a masterclass in punditry from Henry that morning. He basically took everyone watching all the viewers inside that room and not just what's on the table, the mood, the emotions. And I think, you know, he, he can do that. He's been there and he offers, I mean, I don't think his punditry is 
in terms of what he offers, in terms of you know calling it as it is, and his immense experience, his immense brilliance, his greatness is is, is in doubt. It's more should anyone that's working on the team, basically on television, there aren't that many of them, be a little bit more across, you know, the players they are going to talk about that week. But anyway, that's it for now, I think. We have covered that. <laughs> and uh, Phil, we should say that the tournament as a whole, champion of the champions, I think we are on towards about the hour mark now, and uh, aiming for about 90 minutes. So I'm not, not sure I fancy our chances too much at the moment. We'll do our best. Um, a good, wasn't it? I mean, a good host in, in Bolton. I mean, if... Uh, I think, it, you know, the, I, I was saying to you that I didn't think the costumes got that as much of a negative, you know, outlook from, from I did see some, obviously, but I didn't think it was going to be, it wasn't as strident as the, the earlier years, I didn't think. But anyway, um, it, 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 it remains a highlight. Again, some people will say they, they thought that there was too many one-sided matches for them this time. And there were a few, but for me, the ones that were really good, you know, even that best of seven, that Ding and Zhang one, and, and and the Trump and Murphy and the ones that were really good kind of made gave it something a, a bit of a special feel still. So no, successful week. And we must say congratulate everyone that was involved with it. Yeah, it's a great tournament, isn't it? And uh, I've not been to that venue, but the players seem to be giving it good reviews. Uh, I tell you what, the shirts, the players themselves seem to give them very good reviews. Um, you know, Judd always talks about that kind of thing, but John Higgins was saying how much he likes wearing it and playing it and, you know... Um, He's been around forever playing in all sorts. So he was he gave it two thumbs up, I think he said, for the shirts. Um yeah, I don't mind them. Um yeah, it's, it's uh, the crowds look good, I think. Certainly at the end were, were very good. Um so yeah, so I mean Championship Champions is a is a great tournament. Um and it is another good addition. Um so yeah, two thumbs up from me for that as well. And I'm just saying that ending thing. It's kinda of funny that I mean, it was biggest at the time, even by the time we're recording this, I thought God, that seems like ages ago. It's a bit of a daft even, and we've done a long time on it, and, and it seems like too long on quite a small issue, really. But just one of those things that gets people talking, and you know that can be any issue. I remember always thinking that about the whole Sean Murphy amateur thing. I couldn't believe how big that went. Um, but you know, whatever gets people talking, we'll talk about it on Talking Snooker. That's a nice way of saying it. Um, but I have to say, yes, you're right. But also, I, I did have another couple of thoughts in recent days. But do we, in our own way, talk down snooker a bit? I don't just mean me and you, but generally, because I do find a few times we'll, we'll all find ourselves saying, "I can't believe this story is so big," as if snooker stories themselves can't get big, or our sport's not big enough to hit the headlines. And I sort of think, well, this sport can, you know, if there's a good line and it hits it at the right time, it sort it sort of can still. But yeah, I mean that. That Murphy amateur thing was a classic. Wasn't Hector on the news at 10 or something? Well, the news at 10 in Scotland anyway, you know. And uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was absolutely re- remarkable how, how big that got. But yeah, this sport, you know, it's not the 80s where, you know, 18.5 million people tune in and it's all over the front and back of newspapers. The front was mainly Alex Singers, of course. But, um, you know, we can, we can still hit the headlines, Phil. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean, I, I do my best chucking out lines as, as much as anyone from the snooker world. But yeah, it's just funny. Yeah, it's just the specific ones that get me sometimes, which which go mad. Like, um, not that they're bad lines, but yeah, I mean, that was sort of <laughs> that was a uh, main story on the BBC Sport page for some time, a busy it was. time of year. It was. Um, yeah, nuts, yeah. but um, but yeah. you know, good. <laughs> you know, it's good for the sport. Uh, probably wasn't a great couple of weeks for Sean, but um, but yeah, in, but positive for snooker in general, though, which you know he is a fan of. 
you know, he, he wants to promote the sport, so I'm sure he will take that on the chin for the whatever he had to deal with for a bit. Absolutely. I think Sh- our friend Shamoon was still at the BBC at that time, and he was updating me with hits. And we've got like two million or something, that story. Crazy, it was yeah. absolutely ridiculous. And like half a million comments or something. It was absolutely extraordinary. Anyway, let's let's move on, Phil. Still got a lot to talk about in what is going to become something of a marathon episode, we think. And you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. UK Championship, Phil. Remember, remember, 25th of November. Or in old money, if you, if you like days, Saturday. That's how close <laughs> we are now, Phil, to the, to the big event in York. One of, the, one of the great events, of course, of any snooker season. And the qualifying is underway. And I know we've been keeping an eye on it. There's been loads going on. So it's so unusual to overlap with the tournament as well. Mm. So we had that over the weekend, which was, you know, a real interesting kind of juxtaposition, I think. And we should say that there was a win for Mink Nutra against Adam Duffy, 6-3, before Mink lost a thriller against Michael White. Uh, Mink was 5-2 up in that one. Michael drew all his reserves of experience to come back uh, for victory. We should say also a 1-4-7 from Zusa. Uh, in his 6-1 win over uh, Mei Halong. And we should say, Phil, gives us the chance to reflect on WST announcing a £147,000 bonus for anyone making two maximums in the Triple Crown events this season, starting with this UK and uh, and uh, heading into the Masters and World Championship. He's halfway there already. You never know. But uh, yeah. Uh, he made that uh, maximum against Mahe Long, and uh, we should say congratulations for that. A dramatic old match that came to a conclusion on Sunday night. Uh, Dominic Dale beating Stan Moody 6-5. That's what I love about this sport. One player born in 1971, just beating a player born in 2006, Phil. That's, that's something else, isn't it? Dale making two breaks of 54 in the last two frames to come back from 5-4 to win. Uh, I know you'll have lots of uh, other moments of your own. They're the the ones I picked out. Of course, you can continue to follow all the scores via snooker.org. And if you're watching, it's live, isn't it? And free on YouTube to watch. So, and with commentary as well. So the next few days are going to be smashing, including Judgment Day, of course, which is up there as any of the best days in this sport, any season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, The first couple of days didn't have commentary, but now we're on Facebook and YouTube. Dave Hendon affiliates and Stephen Holworth, I think I'm right in saying, pretty confident about that. Um, and yeah, we're really sort of in certain, I mean, this will be out of date straight away, but live as we speak, it's Ricky Walden versus Marco Fu in a decider. You know, there's some great games going on. Um, and talking Marco Fu, you know, he's such, we've mentioned this a while, uh, a few times. Yeah, him having him lurking at the bottom of the rankings really adds spices <laughs> to the early draws. And, uh, it was crazy to see him against Michael Holt as a first-round draw. Michael Holt being an amateur, obviously. I watched a lot of that game. 6-5, Marco won it. Um, Holt made two centuries um, and a 90-odd. 
Uh, he actually made a century to take it to the cider, uh, broke off. Marco floated in this long red and made a 71, and that was it. Um, it was a brilliant game, considering it was on the very first day. Um, amazing stuff. Um, Robbie McGuigan, another good win. He got that good win in Northern Ireland. He beat Fergal O'Brien. That was very impressive. Um, yeah, Stan actually won a game to get to Dominic Dale, so another win for him on the tour. I watched Rianne against Ryan Thomason go very late at night, um, and Ryan won it in the decider. Um, Sean O'Sullivan needed a decider against Bypat, Syria Papon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was loads of interesting stuff. Julian Boyko was very impressive, actually. I watched a bit of him against Liam Pullins because that was a, a good sort of battle of the youngsters. Um, and Boyko was looking, looking excellent. Um, he went on to lose a decider today. Um, Liam Davis lost a decider. I was, I was thinking that Boyko and Davies, and you get a lot of these youngsters, they're only sort of 17, 18. They get, they get some horrible scars early in their career, painful defeats. Um, so hopefully they'll just keep swinging because they're both very good and they'll get there at some point. Um, well, let's see. Uh, I think that's most of the t- things I've noticed. I, watched, I did watch that um, the end of Michael White, Mink. Mink potted an amazing, well, not amazing, it was, it was a good, long, uh, final blue. She left herself quite a tricky pink. Um and just missed it to the middle. Um, that was uh, unlucky, but that would have been a huge win for me to beat Michael White. That would have been very good. Oh, one yeah. notable result today. Ian Burns, six, Liam Highfield, nil. Um, caught my eye. Um, yeah. You know, Liam is uh, tends to be notably higher up in the rankings than Ian. Um, so that was a very good result for Ian Burns there. Uh, good win for Ken Doherty against Dwayne Jones, 6-3. And yeah, I think now we're we're up to date. We're at live scores now. So um Ding against Daniel Wells is three four down. You know, this will be all out of date by anyone here, is it? But this is where this is the time of night we're recording. Absolutely, Phil. And I'm right in, in, in saying that, that that mink game against Michael White came back, didn't it? For for just a decider. Yeah, quite a few of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, quite a lot of that. Back. I noticed that Kleckers and Rod Lawler is a, is only eight frames, and they're coming back. It's five three to, to Lucas Kleckers. Yeah, I mean, that was that was always going to be a candidate yeah. for one of them. I think. Yeah, I think I didn't want to say that really, but you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, and look at the. It's, I did say to you actually tonight is tremendous, and this just gives an example. I think of just the action we're going to look forward to the next couple of days actually, because he, you know even as we speak on air, you mentioned that um, Marco Fu that's gone all the way against Ricky Walden. Well. Matthew Stevens is 5-2 down to Robbie Williams. I'm looking at the live scores here. C. Dwight He, who had that, of course, famous run at the Crucible. He's 5-4 up against Michael White. They had that win we've, we've been talking about in the previous round. Uh, Martin Gould, 5-2 down against Fang Zhengzhi. So, so all out of date. I just love being a video printer service, Phil. I can't resist <laughs> it. All out of date, of course, by the time you listen. But you should follow the scores on, on, on snooker.org. And uh, U- UK Championship to qualify and will continue. And the big event on Saturday, Phil, of course, the, the top 16 will go straight through to the venue at uh, the Barbican Centre in York. We really can't wait. Uh, we've had so many cracking tournaments already this season. But the UK is still a bit special, no question. And, yeah, all roads lead to uh, that beautiful city. And we'll enjoy the qualifying over the next few days. And then, you know, it'll, it'll all be about York, of course, the first time the BBC cover an event during the, during, during the, the snooker season. It, both them and Eurosport will cover it. Uh, 
all guns blazing and uh, so much to look forward to. And I should say that when we're next with you on Friday, we'll have Matt Bishop with us uh, to look back on qualifying and, and on all the Judgment Day action and look ahead to the matches to come. So great time of year to be a snooker fan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the draw should be to mark people's cards Thursday sort of afternoon. I was looking back last year. It was about half four on Thursday. Um, they do the draw. Um, so not everyone will be qualified. There'll be a few either ors. Uh, yeah, and it's judgment days, Wednesday and Thursday. So, uh, Ooh. yeah, they're, they're, they're <laughs> great drama. Um, yeah, they very, they revamped it to be like the world's last year. And it, I think it really worked. It made it really exciting. Um, so yeah, plenty to look forward to. Um, yeah, it should get a bit edgy on Wednesday and Thursday. And we always like a bit of edge. We do like a bit of edge. And, uh, yeah, UK qualifying will continue. And we should now also reflect on the Women's Masters, Phil, that was played at Frames in South London. And victory there for Mary Talbot Deegan, uh, who has ended a 29-year wait. This is always brilliant, I think, when a player that's that's been uh, battling away on, on the tour for so long. She's won her first uh, ranking title, beating Jamie Hunter 4-3 in the final. A brilliant achievement at the age of uh, 43. Just while I remember... I was following the scores a bit towards the end of that final. And it was, mu- I, I don't want to bang an old drum, but it was so much superior to the scores that we follow oh, on, yeah, on the yeah. W. No comparison. They were doing, you know, like Talbot Deegan misses the blue. And see, it was absolutely pinpoint accurate to everything that was happening. It wasn't one bit out of place with the timings, the scores, everything. And I thought, well, can't they just borrow that thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought the same. There must be a reason why, but. It's really good on there. It's yeah. Post final, um, I did read a, a line on on from Women's World Snooker actually that said the safety play was really really top throughout the match. Hunter was three two up. Talbot Deegan won a tight sixth frame. Um, scores were level. She potted the pink and black to set up the decider, and that was a tight uh, tight frame too. But uh, Mary Talbot Deegan won it and says it feels amazing. I am buzzing. I always believed I would win a title. I feel on top of the world. It means everything uh, to do it here and to hold myself together. I've never done it before on a major tournament, so I proved that I can do it. I didn't bottle it, and I'm really proud of myself. Interesting. I was looking up at Torwood Deegan's past results in this event. She won the seniors at the Masters in 2021, Phil. So what a notable double that is. And I think she's basically won events at pretty much all levels, actually. But this is obviously a main tour win. So we say con- congratulations to her. There were some uh, big names that didn't play, actually, for sort of scheduling reasons. But we have to say, well done. It's, it's, I, I love that sort of tale at a certain stage in someone's career. To put one on the board must just feel so special. Yeah, definitely. That's great to see. Um, yeah, she's been playing for a while now. I saw her actually in the 900, actually, this season. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, she's, she's got some talent. She's got a good player, obviously. Um, you've got to be to win one of these uh, events. Um, yeah, the, the biggest hitters uh, when they're apart from Rebecca Kenner, um, cause, you know, the, the UK qualifiers sort of ran over a bit. And I saw Jason Francis tweeting about Rianne's game finished sort of late at night and then she was going to play the next, that morning. It was that late at night. It was sort of half 12. She was going to play the next morning. So scheduling a little bit unfortunate, but, you know, that allows other players to come through and congratulations to Mary. Great result for her. Very much so. Just run through some of the results then from the quarterfinal stage. Rebecca Kenner, three. Emma Parker, nil. Sarah Dunn, three. Uh, Myrie Mackay, 
nil. Jamie Hunter, three. Jasmine Bulsover, nil. And Mary Talbot Deegan, three. Tessa Davidson, nil. The semi finals uh, Jamie Hunter, four. Rebecca Kenner, two. And Mary Talbot Deegan, four. Sarah Dunn, nil. Break of 84 in that victory for Talbot Deegan, the highest of the tournament. And then, as we say in the final, Mary Talbot Deegan, four. Jamie Hunter, three. We should also say that Tessa Davidson won the seniors event, while the under-21 event was won by a 15-year-old, Sophie Nix. And we should also say, Phil, that our colleague, Shabnam Yunus Jewel, entered the tournament, which was so nice to see. She played three group games, including one against the tournament winner, Talbot Deegan. And even though she didn't manage to win a frame, the experience would have been so good for Shabnam. In fact, she did say as much on social media. She says, I thought I wasn't good enough or young enough for ages, but finally I took the leap after being inspired by the women of all ages and abilities who play on the WWS tour. Everyone has to start somewhere, I've been told, and the win will come. The main thing is I'm giving it a go and enjoying myself by doing something that makes me excited and happy. Inspiring stuff from Shabnam Phil. We say well done to her. And I think the whole of us on the media circuit are just delighted and admiring. Oh, yeah. Big time respect. Yeah, that's a, a great effort. Um, I know she's been working hard. She works with the coach, puts the practice in. Um, and, yeah, I mean, keep plugging away. Um, it, you've got to start somewhere. And three matches uh, is good experience, again, as you say, against the eventual tournament winner. So, um, yeah, I'm sure the win will come if you keep going. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, Huge amount of respect for giving that a go. And uh, tell you what, it's worth signing up just to get the, the great photography of Matt Hewitt again mentioned there because there's some lovely photos of her in action there. And she's got her own snooker.org page with the results on with a photo at the top. So that's pretty cool as well. So, um, yeah, congrats for, for getting involved. Yeah, no, really brilliant effort. And, uh, yeah, she, she's rightly the talk of the, of the press room right at the moment for that. And uh, we, we say congratulations to everybody involved in the staging of another successful event. But I'd say, Phil, do you know what? I have seen some comments again about women's snooker, you know, in recent days that don't particularly gladden the heart. And I would like to say they haven't really been from snooker people, but, um, you know, some of the sentiments haven't been great. And it has sort of reinforced my view that every one of us has a duty uh, to promote the women's game. And it reminded me that when I became editor of the Snooker Scene magazine, those are the words I said uh, time and time again. And in fairness, you know, my predecessor as editor uh, did take on board uh, what I was saying. And uh, listen, we are, of course, all products uh, of our time. But I'm really proud of introducing to that magazine after more than half a century, regular standalone coverage of the women's tour, including page lead reports from tournaments along with current rankings, other key statistics and the season calendar. And to help with that, one of the very first things I did was to bring female journalists into my team. And I said very clearly to them, your voice has been missing. I want to hear it. So I am very proud of that. And Phil, I'm also very proud of what we've done on this podcast. We spoke to one of the greatest female players of them all, Rhianne Evans, for her first ever as we understand it, long-form audio interview. We also have another leading female star, Rebecca Kenner, joined us from a Q Sports shop in Keithley. And what a lovely episode that was. We've had one of Snooker's leading female referees, 
on this pod, one of the sport's biggest fans and some of our very finest broadcasters and journalists. And I know we were extremely touched when Lula Whitesacher from the Snooker Pro website said of us in a feature on Snooker podcast, the naturalness with which Nick and Phil speak to or about women is very pleasant. Talking Snooker, therefore, has an unusually high proportion of women topics on the podcast, whether through reports on women's snooker or female players and journalists as guests. And, uh, you know, it's a promise from us, really. We will always endeavour uh, on here to do everything we can to help promote women's snooker and further its cause. And uh, indeed, I send that promise to any snooker venture I'm involved with and uh, also on my social media platforms. We won't always get it right, of course, Phil. No doubt people will pick us up uh, for not doing enough and then we'll have to strive uh, even more. But I do think it is uh, really important, Phil, in an era when women's sport is riding so high. And I think all of us, uh, you know, do have a part to play. And uh, these tournaments are getting better and better. And uh, the Masters was uh, another successful event. Big ones coming up as well. And uh, it's all good to see. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. And uh, you're right. Any promotion is helpful because I think, you know, with, with everything, but especially with the Winter Tour, it's a, it's a money issue. They need uh, more investment to to boost it up. Um, and the more promotion it can get from places, well, any places, um, but if we can chuck any their way, um, then it's richly deserved. Um, so, yeah, we absolutely will do uh, for as long as we can. Um, but, yeah, well done for everyone for putting another another good event. And congratulations to Mary for winning it. Indeed. And you may have heard, Phil, there's a documentary uh, coming out. Um you might, you might have missed this line. It's um, <laughs> Ronnie, Ronnie O'Sullivan, of course, a documentary that everyone is talking about. And that really is true as well. Loads of people I know that are not massive snooker people. They're all asking me about this, talking about this, the edge of everything. Now, I I think, but being particularly allergic to spoilers, but I know you're in agreement, we should probably say, if you do want to switch over now, maybe come back to us at a later time, we understand. We know it's very... You've been a long episode anyway. We will be talking, you know, about things you might want to see yourself. So please do switch off now. Spoiler alert: we will be talking now about the edge of everything. Bill, you've written a, a brilliant review on this, so I think maybe you should have the longer first say because you've you've done that. I mean, I, I found it compelling uh, and moving, uh, and I found it a really good watch. You know, I think it was uh, it was really really brilliantly done. I mentioned before. Of air to you, the use of sound is something that really came back to me a lot. That it's it's so cleverly done, it's so effectively done, and I, I just re, re, you know really enjoyed it. One thing I said to you on, on text that from a purely snooker point of view, I love the idea of the Crucible as jail. I absolutely mm-hmm. love that. Uh, that I, I just I'd love to hear what other fans think of that when they see it. Uh, I, I, I think you, even if you've been once, you get it. But if you if you're a serial visitor, like some of us have been over the years and decades, I think you'll love that. And they even made it sort of visually look like that with the walls of the crucible and the dressing room, and you know, poking your head out the window or smoking out the window, as we saw from. <laughs> and I, I love that. I love the idea of that. The analogy was just really worked for me. And uh, of course, we hear that famous conversation, don't we? Which uh, it might be a funny thing, but it reminded me a bit of Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation. You know that that you know not, funny thing to think about. But I thought you know some things 
there might be mixed views on that. Are some things best kept under the veil, best kept secret? Well, it's not anymore, but they were lovely words, weren't they? They were lovely words between the two. And uh, there we are. Uh, but now over to you. I just thought it was really good, really strong, and aren't snooker fans and sports fans and people far beyond that in for a real treat. Yeah, for sure. I've not seen that film, so I can't. I don't get the the reference. But oh, um, I'm terrible with films, really. But uh, but I agree that those were amazing words to hear. And yeah, generally that had been because they both got asked about. Uh, we talk about Ronnie and Judd here, like what was said there, and they both kept it quite vague. I don't know. It was almost like it was an agreement though to wait till we all got to hear the full conversation, and it was amazing. It was uh, clearly very heartfelt from both, and uh, very interested to hear. As was it all, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, we'd all waited so long since, uh, you know, 18 months, near enough, um, since it, uh, Ronnie won that world title. Um, and we weren't sure what to expect. Well, I certainly wasn't. I sort of, I knew there'd been some filming and build-up, but I, I sort of had it in, in my head that it was just sort of like what happens at the World Championship here's behind the scenes and everything. But it's so much more than that, you know. It goes right back... Um, out of Ronnie's life, really. Certainly, any time he's picked up a queue, and all the way through, huge thread of his family and specifically his dad running through it, and the, their relationship and how important that was. Um, and and yeah, and it's all it, it's almost the world. The really the world championship campaign doesn't even come in until about an hour in it, something like that. Mm. Um, so you get an awful lot. Um, you get an awful lot of stuff. And then the actual World Championship campaign, all that stuff that I was expecting uh, was amazing as well. It was great to get all that backstage stuff, you know, the microphone in his waistcoat. I thought that was fascinating hearing what he's muttering during games, even hearing his breathing. Some amazing shots. There was a, there's a scene which really got me um, where it's almost silent and you can just, and he's sort of eyeing up a shot to play for ages. And it sort of kept focusing between intensely close on Ronnie's face and then to the audience and he's just really deliberating and getting more and more frustrated not knowing what to do and it just felt like really sort of got how intense that situation would be and I think intense is a word for for most of it um it showed the intensity of the sport it showed the intensity of a lot of Ronnie's life and sort of living in Ronnie's head um yeah, it's it just fascinating on numerous levels. And obviously, everyone listening to this podcast is a big Snook fan and will be watching it anyway. But um, I'm sure if, you, if you're trying to encourage people who don't know a lot about the game or about Ronnie, then um, they'd enjoy it as well. Because it's a, it's about an awful lot more than, you know, here's the ballsy potter to win the world title. Uh, it's about um, mental health. It's about his family. It's about... Um, all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, there was one or two bits where I thought it's like the fly-in-the-wall nature of it meant that there wasn't someone saying, questioning things. Like there's the uh, the interaction with uh, Olivier Martil in the final. Mm. And it, that shows that in amazing detail. But the, the end of it is a bit confusing because they both seem to like have different opinions. And I almost wanted them to that to be explained. Uh, where it just moves on to the next thing because it's just sort of show it, it just what's happening. Um, so there's one or two things like that. Where it's like, oh, I'd like a question in there, but that is a very minor foible. Um, but yeah, very enjoyable stuff all in all. And uh, I'm sure, as I said, I'm sure everyone listening to this will be watching it anyway, but uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I, 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 I would agree with that. I mean, look, yeah, the Living Mod Hill thing, I mean, 
this just said to me more and more that Ronnie did that for the cameras, really. And I thought his behaviour was bad anyway, really. No, no doubt about it for me. But yeah, that 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 to me was something that he just hammed up a bit because he knew what was happening, you know, with the, with the, with the film being made. Well, I'll tell you what, the travel lover in me thought I have to go to Clandino in December. I mean, my God, <laughs> there was something about that. I'm a big Bleakness fan, you know. I like Bleak. And that was, you know, it was something about that that weather. I mean, beautiful place, of course, but that weather and just all those old sort of hotels. I thought I've, I've stayed in bloody places like that back in the day, of course, you know. They, and it just thought, yeah, that 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 really worked as well from a, from a travel point of view. I did think of, I think you're right about the hour, Mark. I think you're about right when the, the crucible stuff started. And I actually remember thinking around about that point, I think I'd have enjoyed this more if I wasn't so involved with snooker. I felt like I almost knew too much of of, of, of the old stuff, the old food, not all of it, but a lot of it. And, you know, the theme of things that happened during that season. But I think once they got to the crucible and we saw even more of the original footage, if you like, I, I got to like it more and more because stuff I never would have seen, none of us have ever seen, stuff in the dressing room, real, real sort of a sanctity of the game, you know, you, you felt you, you were going places you shouldn't really go in many ways. And that's the sort of thrill of it. Love Ronnie and Jimmy having breakfast. Just love, just love seeing them together, just in the way they're interacting, just two such, you know, legendary names in this sport and just them being together. They were talking about the David Gilbert match, weren't they? And, Jimmy was asking Ronnie different about different frames and moments, and I just loved that. And uh, yeah, no, it was um, it was just really, really good. So much to enjoy. I'm sure we'll probably discuss about it more. We think about it more. And we the old handbags and glad bags on film. We're going to the premiere, aren't we? You're going to yeah. speak to Ronnie as well. There, we yeah, exactly. I mean, in a way, it's just you know, big premiere in London. You know, it's it's, it's sort of normal for you, isn't it? But for someone like me, you know, it's <laughs> it's bloody lovely. <laughs> i'm always rocking up at tinseltown for this kind of stuff don't worry about that uh no i've never been to one so i'm very excited getting the train down especially got my suit out lovely stuff uh very much looking forward to it um david beckham's to be there as is alistair campbell of all people not quite worked out what the connection is but he's hosting the q a so yeah very much looking forward to that and yeah i think i agree with you it's that and again i'm sure no one listening to this um will be able to be in this situation but if you somehow didn't know what the result was in the final it would be a very tense watch and they build it up brilliantly um funnily enough i went to see dear england the other day with the, the gareth southgate england play and i was thinking that at the same time like if you didn't know what happened in these matches that they're sort of acting out it would be a lot more tense than me knowing exactly which people scored or missed penalties at the exact times um so i think it, yeah maybe if you uh, I should test this on my girlfriend, really. Uh, see what she thinks of the tension of it without really, because she won't remember who won that world title, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I think it would work for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm sure by the time a lot of people listen to this, they may well have watched it already because it's such is the excitement about it. Um, but I think it's warranted. They really did leave us hanging for a while and it was starting to almost get a little bit annoying, but, um, it's been worth the wait, really enjoyable. And I think it will be good for the sport because I think it's a Ronnie O'Sullivan documentary. It's definitely about him. But I'd be, if you didn't know a lot about snooker, I'd be stunned if you watched that and weren't intrigued at least and certainly didn't come away with some respect for what they have to put up with mentally. Um, so I think it will attract some new fans, I'm pretty sure. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's the hope, isn't it? Yeah, nice way of summing it up. And uh, yeah, so tomorrow here in the UK, that's Tuesday night. Um, there will be the premiere, but uh, more importantly, really, it's been streamed to cinemas around the country. And uh, there will still be uh, ways, I'm sure, for you to get tickets uh, for that. And uh, yeah, you, sh- you should um, you should try and do so if you can. And if not, then of course you've got a uh, Thursday on Amazon Prime. Uh, so that's another way of doing it as well. And I'm actually going to look up the specific way you can do that, Phil, which I don't think I've, I've got down here. And uh, maybe while you do that, you can you can talk a little bit more about. Well, I think another idea we got, Phil. Let me move on to that while I do that, which is you saying that what Stephen Henry didn't do was the crime of the century gave us an idea for a new feature, didn't it? What is the crime of the century? Yeah, what is the snooker crime of the century? (laughs) Now, we had a couple of early goes, didn't we? Um, we They they don't sound very good. We we, we, we did them very much off the cuff. Well, I said my snooker crime of the century, just to say this is obviously something absolutely outlandish and outrageous, (laughs) and mine was to suggest that Hazel Irving doesn't do enough research. (laughs) Hazel turns up on these big events it's just not enough. She's not not across enough what's going on. That's my crime of the century. Do you remember what yours was? Yeah, it was the first one that spread to mind was just suggesting a, dri- a double kiss was not dreaded. If anyone doesn't dread the double kiss, you know, you, that is a crime. But we'll see. Maybe let us know if there's anything that uh, springs to mind that, uh, you know, not an actual crime of the century. We don't want any sort of heinous acts that snooker players committed over the years. But if there's anything that springs to mind that uh, a pundit or a commentator or, or someone in the media could say, and you'd be like, good grief. You cannot say that about snooker. Exactly, Phil. You're quite right. And I'm now going to say that I've got the, the appropriate information up, which is coming up extremely slowly, because always happens when you most want it to come up quickly. And... The Ronnie O'Sullivan documentary is, of course, available on Tuesday night uh, in in cinemas uh, across uh, the UK and available on Thursday uh, through Amazon Prime. And you can book at RonnieTheEdgeOfEverything.com. So that's RonnieTheEdgeOfEverything.com. And you will be able to see, if you do go along on Tuesday night, uh, the Q&A with David Beckham and with uh, Alistair Campbell, and I'm sure it's going to be good value. And uh, but uh, listen, if you also want to watch it uh, in your own comfort, I know many of you will be stream, you know, be connected to Amazon, and that I'm sure you'll you'll enjoy it as well in the comfort of your own home. Lots of different ways to watch it. But yeah, if you go to the cinema, it will have a sort of grand feel. I think it'll be a real sort of night out, and uh, you know, to see a film followed by Q and A. It's quite unusual anywhere, I think, isn't it? Really. So and uh, and knowing Ronnie, he's not he's not going to. He's not going to. He's not going to produce a sort of um, moribund performance, even that Q and A. He's not going to drop in a couple of. Well, I, I've had quite a good career and I've quite enjoyed it. He's going to say two or three zingers, isn't he? That's the hope, anyway, Phil. That's what we're going for. <laughs> I should think he's on good form. Yeah, he's not going to resort to just talking about the Q action for every answer. Although I'd, I'd weirdly respect that if he did. If he went into that full "I can't be bothered" mode at his own Q and A, that would be quite something. But I don't expect it. I think Campbell will push him for something good. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Well, any other business? We 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 don't. We've only just gone slightly over the ninety minutes. In fact, it feels like longer even. But um, but yeah, I've got a new sporting life column coming up about the UK Championship. While I why I think it still has real gravitas, but what could be done to enhance it? And I also had a very long chat with Neil Robertson earlier today. And he was on absolutely brilliant form, fascinating stuff, still one of the most compelling voices in the sport. So I've got an interview with Neil coming up in the next uh, few days. So keep an eye out for that on Sporting Life, and I'll link to it on my social media. Apart from that, we've got Matt Bishop joining us on Friday. And over to you, Phil. Yeah, plenty of stuff coming up um, surrounding the Ronnie stuff. I'm going to speak to him tomorrow out of the Premier. Um, got a couple of interviews out of the UK. I'm also speaking to Neil, but... Um... For a few days after speaking to Tom Ford as well, coming in as a seed, so it'll be interesting. Um, and then it'll be UK time, uh, and that'll be very, very interesting. That'd be sort of a quick turnaround, as I say, the draw on Thursday, start on Saturday. So, uh, busy, 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 plenty to look forward to, indeed. And it's one of the most special events of any season, so I know many of you out there will be looking forward to it immensely. So, that, that's basically it, then, I think, Phil, apart from the you know, the the 84 tournaments going on, the <laughs> the, the big documentary, the, the massive amount of talking points. It's just very, very quiet in snooker. You know, what, what's a snooker journalist to do? Um, <laughs> but, but it's going to be a great week. I really look forward to seeing the general reaction to the Ronnie documentary. I'm sure you do as well. Just among the people we know well, well in snooker and the fans we know, because, you know, it, I know so many of them will take so much from it. And they'll tell us, Oh, that's, they'll tell me things I know they will that I hadn't thought of and I'll be like yeah of course I hadn't seen it like that and I'm really looking forward to that but at the moment there's like a select few of us have seen it which is great as well and we're very lucky to have done so but I think I'm, I'm looking forward to everyone sort of seeing it so I can get those new angles and um, yeah so that, that, that that's about it from us and uh, I, I just salute you and say thanks to your company during this long episode and I'll see you in London um, when as I said to you uh, I'll have a suit on but I will, of course, still look like a scruffy journalist. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, as will I. Uh, there's no avoiding it, I'm afraid. But we'll 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 try and fail. But um, yeah, no, we'll be there. We don't, as we said before in here, we don't get to see each other in the flesh too much. But tomorrow's a a big event, so we will. Uh, I'm plenty to look forward to. I'm sure there's a, quite a few other people will recognise there. So it's going to be uh, be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Good man. The, the only time now it's in our contract where you see each other is for the Tony Mio Trophy, the Crucible, or glitzy London film premieres with <laughs> David Beckham. That's the only time we, we, we'll agree to see each other. Thanks for your company, everybody. Keep your thoughts coming. Talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at Talkingsnooker. For now, for Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.